Today on Growing Grace, we begin with these words from our pastor and teacher, Ed Ray. Some of us are in the middle of sifting right now. God's trying to break off our capabilities, our blind belief that we can do it, that we can do something spiritual for God. We can't in the flesh. So God has to remove that. That's what's going on in Peter's life. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. In the last decade or so, hundreds of innocent people have been released from prison after DNA testing showed they had been wrongly convicted. Well, obviously, DNA testing was not available back in Jesus' day, but we don't need any sophisticated methods to know the Lord was completely innocent of all charges against him. In fact, the judge himself said so. Today's edition of Grow in Grace begins the last phase of the Lord's earthly ministry as he's about to be arrested. Let's visit the Garden of Gethsemane and open up Luke 22 now. And here's Pastor Ed Ray. Verse 39, and coming out of downtown Jerusalem, they're going to work their way outside of the city walls, go down through the Kidron Valley. He went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed and his disciples also followed him. They go through this valley where the blood is probably still running from the Passover lambs that had in fact been sacrificed, slaughtered for the Passover. And then verse 40, he comes to a place. And he said, pray that you may not enter into temptation. The place is Gethsemane. Matthew 26 says he went to this garden. The name of it means olive press. It's a garden you can still visit today that has ancient old olive trees in it. Now, in the city of Jerusalem, there are no gardens inside the city walls. The real estate's too expensive. In fact, they even build houses up on the walls. So no one had a garden. So outside the city wall, people would have vegetable gardens, or in this case, it's an olive garden. There'd be some vines there, some, a vineyard there also. Here's an ancient old olive tree. We can't tell how old it is because olive trees don't have rings like most trees. But these are huge. They're gigantic. Maybe it was a garden that belonged to one of the disciples, someone who was following Jesus, we're not told. But this garden has great significance. In fact, it was in this garden that he would be crushed and pressed. It's an olive press, right? This is where olives were taken and they were pressed for the oil so that the oil could be used in lamps and cooking, etc. Well, Jesus is about to be pressed and out will come salvation for you and I. So he's in Gethsemane, and he is going to surrender to his flesh, to the will of God, and be crucified for our sins. He gives him a warning. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus knew what was about to happen, and he's giving them a warning, but he's also giving them a solution. The solution is prayer. The lesson is prayer helps with temptation. It helps with temptation. It doesn't take temptation away, but we're all tempted. 
That's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. There's no temptation except that which is common to men, but God will make a way in the midst of every temptation, a way of escape. If you'll pray, if you and I will spend time in his presence, if we'll spend some time in advance so when the temptation comes, we'll be stronger and we'll be looking to the Lord. Well, prayer helps with temptation. And he withdraws, verse 41, from them, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed. Matthew adds, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Grieved all around, literally, he says. He's about ready to be crushed. Now, don't misunderstand. The agony is not the physical pain that he's worried about. He's going to be crushed under the sin of the whole world, my sin and your sin. He's going to take on the sins of mankind, become the substitute, the sacrifice, the great exchange for us. He who knew no sin would become sin for us, the writer of 2 Corinthians said. Bear the sins of many, Hebrews 9.28. Jesus is taking on my sin. And he prays, verse 42, Father, Mark adds, Abba, Father, If it is your will, remove this cup. The cup is the cross, the pressure of the sins of the world on him. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This isn't a conflict that's going on. This is Jesus shrinking from this physically, humanly, shrinking from this pressure of the sins of the world coming on him. I like it that Jesus, again, reminds us that God is our father. He taught us to pray that way, right? Pray this way, our father who art in heaven. When Mark says, Abba, Father, it's interesting. If you go to Israel today, the little kids run around and say, Abba, 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 which is Daddy. And they're going to ask Dad for an ice cream or whatever. Why is it they always ask Dad for that? What's the deal there? Soft touch, something. So uh, Jesus speaks to his Heavenly Father as a model for us to remember to pray to our Heavenly Father. Now the father responds, look at verse 43. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven. He sends the ministering angels to strengthen him. That's all it says. Angels are ministering beings sent from God. This one was probably excited to have this opportunity to minister to God the son. We don't know exactly how, but he strengthened him. Jesus was in agony, verse 44 says. He prayed more earnestly, so much so that his sweat became like great drops of blood blood falling to the ground, just part of a lot of blood that he was going to shed that day for you and for me, part of that cleansing, part of the way that God would cleanse us from our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is an interesting medical phenomenon called hematotrosis, and It's rare, but it has been recorded in other human beings. Under great stress, under great pressure, the subcutaneous capillary beds break open and leak into the sweat glands, and when you sweat, out comes blood too. So Jesus is under tremendous pressure. Blood pressure is climbing humanly. And then he rose up from prayer, verse 45. And he came to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Dr. Luke is kind. He says, from sorrow. That they're sleeping because of the pain. Jesus understood their weaknesses. In Matthew, he adds, the flesh is weak. He is a high priest. He is our priest who understands the human weaknesses that we all struggle with. Hebrews 
4.15, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was at that very moment locked in a struggle against human passion. Then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Matthew tells us Jesus came three times and find him sleeping. I know that problem. I get up early and start to pray and then I turn around and I put my head on the seat of the chair so I can you know, think more intently about Jesus. And then I wake up with slobber running down my face and you didn't need that, sorry. My heart started out right. I loved old Alan Redpath when he was here. He said he needed blanket victory, meaning over the blanket in the morning. I understand that. So they're sleeping. They're not giving God any time. Jesus is warning them that there's temptation coming. We need to spend time before the Lord not just giving him a grocery list. It's easy to do that. You come rushing in, giving the list, and then run out the door. Read a little. Listen to Isaiah 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. Power to the weak. And to those who have no mighty increases strength, even the youth shall feign to be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord, if I'll just wait on God, he'll renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God wants us to spend some time in his presence and then he'll speak to us in a way that we'll understand. Well, Jesus is waking them because verse 47, while he was still speaking, a multitude shows and Judas is out in front. Notice it says, called Judas one of the 12. All four of the gospels identify Judas that way, probably to underscore this cunning deception in Judas's plans. This multitude is an interesting term John uses a slightly different one over in John 18, 12. He calls them a detachment. The Greek word is cohort. And technically, in the Roman legion, that was 600 men. Now, we normally see this, you know, artist rendering of this with, you know, about 10 guys standing around with those cute little red skirts on. But this was an army of, of serious, battle-hardened Roman legionnaires. It's a huge crowd. Jesus said to them, Judas... Matthew adds, friend, ooh, that had to hurt. Are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Why are you kissing? Jesus is reaching out to Judas, I believe. He's trying to touch him. You say, I know what you're up to, Judas. I understand. Turn. You're about ready to fall. But you can turn, too. You can come back to me. Jesus is still reaching out. Thanks for listening and studying along with us. This is Grow in Grace. Pastor Ed Ray is in the middle of a study in Luke 22, picking up with verse 49. When those around him saw what was going to happen, verse 49, he said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? The sword is 50 to 1. What are you thinking? Well, we saw him on the mount. Remember when he turned into that glistening white light. He's going to do it right now. Won't it be cool in the garden when he turns? And that all, now John tells us that when they asked if Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth, he said, I am. 
He said those two words that he spoke to Moses from the burning bush, and it knocked them on their can. They fell back. And they went, whoa. (laughs) And so into that moment, with a mindset of we're going to rule the world, enters Peter. Verse 50. One of them, John 18.10 tells us it was Peter, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Now, this is a doctor, Dr. Luke, who's writing this, and he tells us that it's Malchus, or Malchias is the guy's name. He's the high priest servant. Well, it's his right ear. Now, assuming Peter is right-handed, you only can cut off the right ear as if they're running from you. (laughs) I'm thinking Peter is trying to lop his head off. He's not trying to take his ear off. But Jesus said, permit even this, and he touched the ear and healed him. Now, this is one of those DVDs you got to check out when you get to heaven. See, I'm thinking Malchias is running. He feels pain, blood squirting everywhere, and he stops, and Jesus said, it's okay. Reaches down, grabs his ear, and puts it back on, and boom, it's healed. Or maybe he doesn't even put it back on. Maybe he just touches it, and it's healed completely, and then he hands him the ear, and he says, hey, put this on your rearview mirror. You'll need it later. <laughs> Wouldn't it have been cool if Peter had actually locked off his head, and then Jesus said, here, let me put that back on for you. That's not quite smooth, that. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Mm, There you go. Well, this reminds me of the time before I was a Christian when I prayed. See, I'm thinking Malchias is uh, stuck in a quandary right now. Later, the next day, he wakes up and says, you know, my ear, it feels fine. Looks in the mirror, there's nothing wrong with it. What was that? It must have been a bad dream. Maybe it was just a flesh wound, (laughs) kind of like a bad Monty Python movie. Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But when I got in trouble, I used to pray, God, just get me out of this, I'll go to church. Then God gets me out and I go, oh, that was lucky. (laughs) I'm thinking that's what Malchus is going through. Oh, it just grazed me, something like that. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the captains of the temple and the elders who had come to him, verse 52, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? They didn't have any charges that were legitimate against him. He'd done nothing illegal. They were just trying to avoid a riot by trying to take him. Jesus was so popular. Verse 53, when I was with you daily in the temple, you didn't try to seize me, but this is your hour and power of darkness. This is when the servants of the prince of darkness come out after dark. They do Satan's business. Well, then they arrested him, verse 54. They led him and brought him into the high priest's house, and Peter followed at a distance. There's a lot right there. Dangerous to try and follow Jesus at a distance. You know, just stay close enough to kind of have him close if you need him, but not really commit. They're in the courtyard, verse 55. They kindled the fire in the courtyard. They sat down. Whoops, Peter sat among them. The enemy's fire is a place where people go to get warm, to be entertained. And it's not a place for believers to be. Peter's setting himself up for a fall here. It's here he's going to take a header, (laughs) you know, We get into circumstances that get us in trouble, going to places that we shouldn't be. Those places we used to go, you know, was it Las Vegas, casino, the track, some bar, some place where they're using illicit drugs. Peter's in the wrong place, and he's just a sitting target. God is saying, don't do that, Peter, pray, get away from there. But he's staying close to the fire. We need to be careful when we get too close to the fire. Look at verse 56, a certain little girl, a servant girl, 
sees Peter. Now, remember, Peter is a giant fisherman. The only description we have is non-biblical, but it says he was a mountain of a man. This gigantic guy is sitting there by the fire, and this little girl walks up and looks at him intently. He's trying to look the other way. Don't look at me. What are you looking at? And she says, this man was also with him. This is the first sifting. You remember last time? Jesus warned Peter, you're going to be sifted. You're going to be winnowed. You're going to be threshed. You know that threshing sled that gets drug over grain to break it off the stalk? Peter's a self-sufficient man. And Jesus says he's going to be sifted. He's going to be separated from the things that keep him from being useful to God. Some of us are in the middle of a sifting right now. God's trying to break off our capabilities, our blind belief that we can do it, that we can do something spiritual for God. We can't in the flesh. So God has to remove that. That's what's going on in Peter's life. He's breaking him loose from the stalk. It's the first threshing. He's going to break the head of the wheat off the stalk. Peter's strength. He's the strongest part. But he denied Jesus. He said, woman, I do not know him. Ouch. Ooh. Somewhere out in the city, God pokes a rooster and wakes it up. <laughs> After a little while, another Simon said, you also are one of them. Peter said, man, I'm not. Second pass of the threshing sled over him. The second denial. Verse 59. Then about an hour passes. Gets a little reprieve. Another confidently affirms, saying, surely this fellow was also with him. He is a Galilean. Matthew says, his speech betrays him. <laughs> now, you know you're in trouble when a non-Christian tells you you're a believer. <laughs> you know, that's not a good thing. You know, you're in the wrong place. And they say, aren't you one of those, you know, you were telling me about this Jesus guy last time. That's where he is. He's got a southern drawl. You know, he's saying, y'all, you know, something like, I'm sorry, if you're from Texas. Here, Bubba, hold my beer. You know, something like that. Peter is hanging out near the enemy's fire, and it's not a safe place for him. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Oh, man. Now, the Talmud, this is an interesting side note. The Talmud says that there's not supposed to be any chickens in Jerusalem because they leave a mess, right? And so God had to take a chicken, sneak him in the city, probably chasing a grasshopper or something, and he gives him a place to sleep that night. And then at the right time in the morning, he wakes him up and makes him crow at just the right moment when Peter had put his foot in his mouth. And then Jesus turns and looks at Peter. God went to a lot of trouble. What's going on here? He's going to make Peter the man. He's going to make Peter one of the pillars of the church that will lead thousands of people to Christ in Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 10, at Cornelius' house. Peter is going to be separated from his own belief that he can do it. He's made a smaller man. God is making Peter smaller, humbling him so he can be of more use to God. Oh, it hurts. Don't ask me how I know that. Over and over again, Peter sifted. He separated from Peter's own self-confidence. The Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered. Oh, the Lord looked at him. At that very moment, their eyes met. Now, how you think Jesus' face looks and his eyes will give you a great understanding of what you believe God is like. Now, I grew up in a church that God was always angry at me, <laughs> and he had good reason. But God is not always angry. In fact, God is very loving. So if you think that Jesus looked at Peter and went, Peter, golly, 
you have an incorrect view of God. If you think that Jesus is gritting his teeth at Peter, I told you, Peter, you don't understand Jesus. God so loved the world that he sent his son. He came for the sick. Those who aren't sick, they don't need a physician. He came to seek and to save them that were lost. No, the look was, I love you, Peter, still. I knew this was going to happen. It's all part of my plan. Just come back. Remember, you're going to be sifted, but I've prayed that your faith would not fail. You're not going to turn to another God. You're going to come back. And when you return, because I know you're going to, God speaking, Jesus speaking to Peter, strengthen your brothers. That's what this is. But Peter's not thinking of that at the moment. He's running. Verse 62, Peter went out and he wept bitterly, bitter at the taste of defeat. He thought he could do it. He could not. Neither can you. Neither can me. I will blow it every time if I think I have something of my own to offer for God. If I'll come in brokenness, he'll use me. Peter failed, but Peter was not a failure. Like Peter, we too will fail, but it doesn't mean we're a failure. God will go on to restore Peter later on down the road. Pastor Ed has a story he'd like to share with us. We'll have that for you in just a moment here on Grow in Grace. You'll find us online at thepackinghouse.org. And that's a great place to go and hear this program again. That's thepackinghouse.org. Or call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. You know, it takes a team to bring you Grow in Grace, and we look to our listeners to help make all this possible. If you'd like to make a contribution, you can call 844-77-GRACE. And as you do, be sure to request our special offer available for a gift of any amount. It's a book written by Gene Edwards called The Tale of Three Kings. It's based on the biblical figures of David, Saul, and Absalom. And if you've ever experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, this will be very encouraging to you. There's comfort, healing, and hope to be found in A Tale of Three Kings. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount. You can reach us at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And even if you're not in a position to be able to give, we still want to hear from you. Your email would be a great encouragement to Pastor Ed. This lets us know where Grow in Grace is having an impact by God's grace. Our email address is packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. As promised, here's Pastor Ed to close things out. Close with a true story. Famous Rose Bowl game, 1929. Some of you know this story. Georgia Tech is playing UCLA. And UCLA had a player by the name of Roy Regals. And Roy had his moment in the sunshine. First half, he intercepts or picks up a fumble and he runs 60 yards. The crowd is on his feet roaring. The problem is he ran the wrong way. One of his own teammates tackled him at the one-yard line. Why did you tackle me? You're going the wrong way, buddy. (laughs) He can't believe it. So they set up. They're going to punt. They fumble themselves, and it's a touchback. 
that would be the winning points that would win the game, Georgia Tech over UCLA. But when they get to halftime, Roy goes in, puts a blanket over his head, goes to the back of the locker room and weeps like a baby. Coach Price comes in. Everybody sits looking back nervously, ready for him to fry Roy, right? But he just sits there for 27 minutes. And at the three-minute warning, he stands up and he said, same team back on the field for the second half. One another, look at Roy. He's back there crying. And they all file out, except Roy. He's still in the back. Coach Price goes and sits down next to him. He said, Roy, didn't you hear me? I said, go out on the field. You're on. He said, Coach, I can't do it. I'm an idiot. I embarrassed the team. I've made the biggest mistake in my life. I will never recover from this. Coach said, you're only a failure if you will not go back out there and play. Got up, went out and played. He didn't win the game, but his teammates said, you never saw a man play football like that man that day. If you're discouraged, if you got beat up this week, if you fell down, I would dare say everyone in this room fell down. Just get back up. Have a great day in the Lord. And then join us tomorrow as we continue our journey through the final chapters of Luke. Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray is a ministry presentation of the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Thank you for listening. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your